In the pressure cooker of the NBA playoffs, there's no room to fake it. Every pass, shot, and dribble is immediately consequential. The playoffs are the time for the real. Real stakes, real emotions, real sweat, blood, and tears, real legacies. Which teams will rise from the chaos? Which teams will conquer? Which team is going to make this year their year? You already know when and where to find these moments of unscripted, pure entertainment. Don't miss one minute of the action. Tune into the NBA playoffs on ESPN and ABC. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s She looked like a million bucks Scams a bunch of famous athletes out of untold fortunes Nearly 10 million dollars was all gone It's just unbelievable Hide your money in your old rich man Because <laughs> she is on the prowl Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer On the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts God can't bless who you pretend to be or who you compare yourself to. He can only bless you and the lane that was created for you. I feel that for somebody. You don't need no edge entity. You need boundaries. What? I don't need your likes. I don't need your validation. All I need is a God fighting for me that says all things, all things, all things. Child, listen, okay, you already know this. My name is Sarah Jakes Roberts, but did you know that I am in recovery and not from substance abuse or any type of addiction, but I am in recovery for something that I've been plagued with for quite a few years. And that is the notion that you can never let anyone see you sweat, which was really complicated by the fact that I felt like there was a big old sweat drop constantly pouring down my head after going through all of the different struggles that I've talked about in my life. I thought that my goal was to get to a phase and stage of life where it looked like I had it all under control. A white picket fence would have been nice, a good job, and something that said, wow, she really made it to the other side. Then I realized that there is no other side and that instead of trying to get to a place where it doesn't look like I sweat at all, that maybe I needed to allow people in. In other words, maybe it's time I let people see that it hurts. I'm tired. I'm worried. I think one of the moments that I am most proud of came a few years ago, a few years into my recovery, when I learned that I was not doing my children any favors by pretending that I wasn't tired, pretending that it was easy to show up for them in the way that made them feel special, loved, and seen, and instead to let them know the moments when I was tired, too tired to do what they wanted me to do, too tired and needed to go to bed, so we were ordering again. 
You see, most of us just order the food and close the door. But I took the time to express to my daughter, Mackenzie, at the time that I was tired. And so I was going to take a minute to rest, but I was going to order some food. It seemed like unnecessary language. Why let her know that I was tired? Why let her know that I was going to lower the standard for one night so that I could upkeep the standard of me? But now that she is 13 years old and she is moving fully ahead into womanhood, I hear her saying things that leave her space to advocate for herself or even reminding me, hey, mom, you've worked a really long day. I'll get LST so that you can get some rest. There was something about seeing me give myself permission to shine even when I wasn't at my best that is teaching her to look out for the signs within her mom, but also to honor those moments within herself. Sometimes we think the only way we can shine is when we're fully healed or the only way we can shine is if we have it all together. But I am here to let you know that it is possible to shine even while you are recovering. I cannot imagine what it would be like if people were invited to see me every single day at the top of the morning at that. I don't think that there would be much shining happening there at all. And yet the truth is that for Tashara Parker, this is her reality. She is shining so bright, not just in the Dallas-Fort Worth area as a news anchor, but literally all over the world. And it is not just because she is incredibly articulate or remarkably beautiful, but it is because she has allowed us into those moments where she shined even while receiving hateful comments and remarks. She shined even while fighting to pass certain bills. She shined even while working through her own family work. She has found a way to shine no matter what. I have invited her to be on today's podcast because she has so much wisdom to share about being in a public position, a position where people often know what they think they know about her and her commitment to allowing her authentic state to show up, not just in her hair, but in her feedback and response to the news that she receives about how she's showing up. I love that Tashara made the brave decision to not just tell the news, but to allow herself to become the news so that we would feel a little less alone. If you are like us and you have found moments in your life difficult to shine because you weren't at your best or you were receiving hateful feedback or comments that made you feel like you should shrink, well, we're going to show you how to shine. This is an episode you will not soon forget. Let's get into it. So you're everyone's friend. <laughs> and you know this. Did you know this? Did you know this? I know that I, I call everyone cousin because okay. I feel like we're all family. So, yes. Yes. I'm friend. I'm cousin. I'm all things. We definitely <laughs> feel like we know you. You give us everything we need with the looks and the hair. But then also like the flip. Right. Mm-hmm. So like when it's time to be about the business, you're yep. about the business. And when it's time to just kick back and be homegirl, you do that very well. So how did you find a way to bring your authenticity oh, to what boy. you do? while also recognizing that there is a standard that you have to adhere to at least to get into the door and then you can stretch it a little bit but like how do you navigate this world you're in? I love that you said stretch it a little bit. I've been stretching it a whole (laughs) lot lately. Um, So I agree with you, right? There's this so-called standard to get into a business like journalism, especially when it comes to being on air as an on-air talent and I, I knew that from the start and I knew that when I was getting into this business 
business originally back in 2014 that I wasn't going to be able to be all of Tashara at the beginning. I remember some words from uh, Sint Marshall, Dallas Maverick CEO. And one thing that she said to me is, you know, you might sprinkle a little bit at the beginning and then ultimately you bring all the seasoning salt to the game. Mm -hmm. And so for me, when I first got into the business, you know, I was wearing my hair straight, which is not something that I wanted to do. Um, And also I, I knew that I couldn't just talk like Tashara. You know what I mean? I couldn't just be me because of everyone around me. You felt like you had to adjust and be um, like the folks that were around you in order to be successful. I was a young person trying to get into this business, first generation college student. Something like this wasn't seen in my family. And so I wanted to do everyone proud and I wanted to get in there and do what I had to do. So I knew that there was a standard. What got me to the point where I was able to say, you know what? No, Tashara got to come on to the table. Yeah. Is I think... um, And I think I know there was this one woman I was in College Station, Texas. She reached out to my station. She wanted to take me from College Station and bring me to a station in Tyler, Texas. Now, Tyler, Mm. Texas is where everything unfolded, really, about me just being who I am. And she caught me one time in commercial breaks being Tashara. Mm -hmm. She was like, no, that's the Tashara we want. Like, that's who you need to be. And so um, she continued watching some of the shows from Tyler, Texas. I was still in College Station. Eventually, she moved me out to Tyler. And she said, Tashara, you're going to be the first um, African-American anchor here to work primetime at CBS News in Tyler, Texas, CBS 19. And I just remember showing up as who I was and no one had a problem with it. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, OK, we can do something over here. So I do know that there's a standard, but I do know that that standard wasn't made for people that look like us. Yeah. And so um, that's what I've been trying to do, knowing that I stand for a lot of people um, that look like me. I don't represent everyone, everyone, but I stand for a lot of people. And and so I want to make sure that they know that the standard is there and the standard looks like me. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> so you were yourself and then learned that that was OK. Yeah. Do you think that the perception of limitation is real and we are too nervous to bring ourselves to the table to discover that it is not that to discover that it actually doesn't exist? Or do you think that there are real barriers to that? Oh, absolutely. I do think that perception is real. And I think that perception is reality. Mm. And I think that you go into some of these spaces, whether it's microaggressions and people, let's say you wear your hair to work straight one day and all of a sudden everybody like oh my god I love your hair I love your hair like that but when I come in with this 4C afro y'all not saying that (laughs) All right, Mm -hmm. we have a different story that's being told and so I do think perception is reality when it comes to corporate workspaces most of them anyway Um, you can't show up a certain way or else you're going to automatically be judged based on how you show up because it's unfamiliar to some the whole idea of professionalism in my opinion again was not made for a lot of people that look like like me and was not made for people that have certain backgrounds. Right. And so I do think perception is reality. And I do think that there's a real fear um, in showing up as your authentic self, because you're going to have to deal with whatever those consequences are. Um, And in some spaces, there are consequences in some spaces. You might not get the job simply Mm -hmm. because you are showing all of you at the beginning. I tell folks, go ahead on in now. Now (laughs) you can sprinkle a little bit at the beginning, but ultimately you'll, you'll grow into who you are. Okay, so you've been very open about some of the feedback that you receive. So I will start by saying you do have a fan club. Like, (laughs) undeniable, the cousins are holding you down, looking for you when you take a day off. Like, wait a minute, where is she at? Like, checking for you (laughs) all of the time. And then there are some comments that have been less than kind. Yeah. 
how do you deal with having a public life mm-hmm. that is open to scrutiny and feedback and criticism in a way that protects your soul? I'm trying to learn from you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say that a lot of times too, you know how folks say, don't take anything personal. Yeah. Well, I do take some things personal. It yeah. is what it is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we can try our best not to, but I think, think for me, what works for me is being able to separate the two. Like I understand that I'm going to work. I understand that people at the job or people that are watching sometimes on they don't really know me. Mm-hmm. So sometimes when those negative comments and that negative feedback is is pushed my way, I'm like, oh girl, gone, you know, Karen or whoever you is, just mm-hmm. go ahead, mind your business. I'm gonna keep it pushing. And sometimes it brings laughter, honestly. Yeah. Like I know someone is gonna get a kick out of this. I'm like, you know what? I'm not gonna keep all this to myself. <laughs> Y'all not just gonna keep, you know, badgering me and bashing me and sending me all this stuff. If you wanna send it to me, let everybody else read what you send it to me. Yeah. And so um and of course I go to therapy. Oh mm-hmm. me and my therapist, she's like how was work this week? Yeah. I'm like, girl, let me tell you. And so um, that that really helps. You know, I, I have a higher faith and spirituality. I have a spiritual practice. You know, I'm meditating. I'm doing all the things. It's a whole lot of stuff that I do to keep this mind straight because when I tell you that folks will tear you down and I don't care if I have a hundred comments that are nice and a hundred emails that are nice, it's going to be that one or two that it's going to be the loudest. Yeah. And so I try to remember that I'm in this, not just for myself. It's like when people say, if you're nervous when you go on TV or when you do certain things, remember that you're doing something that's ultimately going to benefit somebody else. Mm-hmm. So oftentimes I try to take myself out of the equation and say, okay, well, look, Tashar, you showing up because somebody 10 years down the line yeah. is going to be appreciative of the work that you did while you were there. Okay, so I have to ask though, because like <laughs> when people leave these comments, they are personal attacks oh yeah yeah against you like Mm -hmm. as a person or the way you look or Mm -hmm. the way you sound or the way you carry yourself how do you like separate yes it's work in in the way that they have experienced you but they're talking about you as a person like how do you recover from that I just keep going. It's hard. Sarah, it's hard every single day. And I always tell people, um, I often say, look, I don't care how easy it looks, what I get up and do every single day. Words hurt. I don't care. What was the saying? Um, Sticks and stones. Yeah. Yeah, But words will never hurt. Thank you. I'm so happy you know exactly (laughs) what I'm talking about. But the things hurt. And that's why I say like, some of those things I do take personal. And I'm yeah. like, girl, like, why are you doing that? Like, mm-hmm. what what is that doing for you? What's Is that taking you a step further because you decided to send this email to me? And so sometimes it hurts. And that's why I need my therapy and I need yeah. my meditation. I need time to regroup. And I often try to pour into myself. If I don't have anything else left in me, I don't have anything left to give. Mm. And I honestly, again, try to remember like, Tashar, this isn't for you. This isn't for you. I remember on the day that we went to testify on behalf of the Crown Act yeah. uh, in Austin, they made us the very last bill there lot of us drove in from Dallas, mm. took several hours to get there. And then we stayed, what, 11, 12 hours? It was a long mm. time. We stayed a long time. I yeah. remember that. And we were the last bill heard. We didn't get heard until like nine o'clock that night. And many of us had been there since seven o'clock that morning. Wow. And so, and we had to drive back to Dallas because some of us had to be at work the next day. Mm. And so you think about things like that. And again, in situations like that, I remember some of those emails that were sent. And yeah. I remember, you know, that I'm doing this for somebody else. It's not just about Tashar. So, I think that's what keeps me grounded, knowing that the little girls that are sending uh, emails on their parents are sending emails on behalf of their children. They're sending me pictures of their little girls wearing a certain hairstyle that I wore in the news this week. All of that matters. And so when I get those emails from some of those people, I'm just thinking like, girl, you got to keep going. Like Mm. this is bigger than you. 
Did that start in Tyler when you started getting the letters from like Mm-mm. black moms? When did it start? That started in, a, well, from black moms, pardon yeah. me. Yes. So they would often send me a little things here and there. I actually have a day named after me in Tyler, Texas. Mm. And so I was always in the community, even before people started to really recognize who I was from the news, I was always doing something. And so when they finally saw me on the news, they're like, mama, that was, that's so-and-so that was just at the Boys and Girls Club. You know what I mean? And so it was here and there in Tyler. But when I got to Dallas, that's when it really started, even before the negative comments started rolling in. Yeah. Okay. So that's how I found you. Mm -hmm. I think your bun went viral. Yes. That's what it was. Your (laughs) bun bun went viral. Can you tell me about that? So like, did you expect for the bun to go viral or were you like this bun? is doing something this bun is doing something no you don't expect the hairstyle to go viral but what i did expect was that somebody was gonna say something i knew it but i was like you know what no i'm gonna wear this hairstyle it's fine i don't have time here's what we run into we go on vacation some of us have our vacation hair right right? Mm -hmm. and then when it's time to go back to work it's like oh i gotta rush and try to take these braids out or to change this hairstyle and so the story with me is i was doing a photo shoot that past weekend Mm. on a sunday i came back to work on a monday and i was like you know I'm not about to sit here and try to take these bonds down and do whatever I need to do to my hair. I'm going to wear it this way. And so I wore it. No, I didn't expect that type of a reaction. If anything, I thought maybe I'll get one little negative email and we kind of move on. Oh no, they came out the woodwork. But I will say that the positive support that I received was overwhelmingly more than the negative comments that came in. Mm. Again, but what I said earlier, the negative comments are the loudest. Mm -hmm. And so um, at that time, when I wore the hairstyle back in October of 2020, October of 2020. Yes. And I received so many emails and I think my bosses kind of know me, you know, they probably knew I was going to say something. Mm -hmm. Um, And they offered, Hey, you can say it on air. Wow. We'll give you five minutes and you know about time. If you get five minutes of any time on TV, that is a lot lot of time. time. So they dedicated about five minutes or so for me to respond to some of those negative emails. And that's when it just took off like wildfire. Folks started sharing it. Folks started looking me up, trying to understand, okay, your hair was the problem here. Yeah. So yeah, that's how that situation unfolded. So you're iconic as a result. (laughs) (laughs) You are iconic. There was an iconic read. There was a to whom it may concern. (laughs) And per my last email, okay, you definitely (laughs) gave it to us. I am wondering, do you ever look at your life, uh, how instrumental you were in the Crown Act, how instrumental you are in the lives of up and coming Mm. journalists, what you do in the community and think to yourself, like, I cannot believe that this is who I am. Or Mm -hmm. are you like, this is exactly this is I knew it all along. I think it's a little bit of both. Mm. I can't believe I'm sitting here talking to you. So Mm. let's start there. And yes, I do look and I think, wow, God gave me this platform and I need to use it for something positive. And that was always the goal. When I became a journalist, I always told myself that I wanted to make sure that I told stories about underrepresented and misrepresented people. Of course, it didn't have those labels back then when I got in the journalism industry. But I just remember when a news crew came to my neighborhood back Mm. in the day in Houston, Texas, it was not for something positive. And so I knew that I wanted to tell more positive stories. And so just thinking back to your question of whether or not I knew that I was that person or I knew that I wanted to become this person, I knew that person was there. I think all of those things can be true at the same time because now that I'm here, I'm going to take it and I'm going to run with it and I'm going to do what I have to do to make sure that the next person that comes behind me, that they can do it too. And so um, I think it's a combination of all of that. Um, I knew that I could do it, but 
I also look back and be like, girl, not, not you here talking to uh, Pastor Sarah Roberts. So, yeah, I think it's a combination of all of it. I am fascinated by you saying you wanted to tell the stories and God positioning your life to be the story. I know. I know, which is something you don't do in journalism. Yeah. You know, I, I will tell you that even when I initially responded, that's not something that you do in journalism, right? They they tell you when you're in journalism yeah, school, never yeah. become the story. Mm. So that was a decision, a tough decision that I had to make. In fact, when I went and testified the first time around, I did a commentary on testifying mm. because again, a lot of journalists will look at that and say, well, that's not journalism. That's not what you do. Right. Yeah. Shame on you for making yourself the story. But I just think back and I, my response to them is, why not? Mm. Why not jump in and do it? If not me, then who? Right. And I knew that at the time that I was gifted what I was gifted as far as the platform is concerned, I needed to do something with it. Mm. OK, so. Is part of your recovery process telling the story? I'm fascinated by this <laughs> because I feel like the same thing in many ways in preaching. Oh, yeah. Like this. It's not about you. It's not about your story. Mm -hmm. It's not about being real. It's mm -hmm. not about being relatable. Mm -hmm. Like you are supposed to be the one who has the answers, not yeah. the one carrying the questions. And so... I have found, though, that part of the reason why most of the people connect to me is because I'm willing to say, hey, I got the same questions and right. this is what I found. Allowing yourself to become the story. This is my story. This is how it applies to my life. How do you balance? Because I think it's a call mm -hmm. to go against the grain, to resist the temptation to do what is proven to work. Right. Right. Ooh, that's a good one. Mm -hmm. It's proven to work when you don't make yourself the story. There's plenty of, there's not a lot of people who you can look around and say they did it this way and it looks so similar to my way yeah. that I trust this path. And yet like this is the phase of your life you're in. You know what's interesting? I don't even have a question. We're just talking now. <laughs> um, people often ask me like, what's it like to not have anyone like you Ooh. in your world? Yep. You know, like to know that you are like dominating a lane. Like, I don't know if there are any young black female pastors who are culturally aware mm -hmm. and are showing up. And I'm like, it's actually pretty scary yeah. because I would love to have a frame of reference. Yes. I would love to be able to say, okay, these are where the limits are. These are where the boundaries are. But now you're out here and it feels like for me that like one wrong decision, one misstep, <laughs> you already know. It's, and it's all crumbling. Yep. Yep. What do you do with that? Oh, I'm happy you said it first. Um, it's scary, right? It you is. know, when you know your lane and when you're trying to be in your lane, it's hard when you step outside of that and people are like, no, this is your lane. You're supposed to do it this way. This is what you're supposed to do. And I, I just feel like, you know, we all have an opportunity to do what we're called to do. And if you miss that calling, what are you doing? Like, yeah. what are you doing with your life? So it is scary. You know, again, I, I told the story about in journalism and some other journalists, when they see me become a part of the story, that's an issue. It that's is. an issue yeah. for some. That's an issue for a whole lot of people. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I just try to navigate it as best I can. I look to mentors who may not be in the journalism industry because that was also tough at the very beginning, finding someone who was also in this industry, but mm -hmm. trying to walk the way that I was walking. And I couldn't really find anyone exactly like that, but I would kind of poach people for different information and try to get questions answered here and there. But it's tough. I mean, it is tough because you have agents and things like that that are looking for certain 
look, a certain persona, um, a certain way you're supposed to walk, a certain way you're supposed to talk, a certain way your hair should be. Yeah. It's hard when somebody gets somebody like me because mm-hmm. they have trouble trying to figure out, well, where do I place her? You got to get real creative to figure out where you're going to put Tashara. Yeah. You know, so I'm, I'm, it's like what you said. It's scary. You know, it's uncharted territory, so to speak, in some areas. Yeah. And I'm just navigating it the best I can. This show is brought to you by BetterHelp. Who am I called to be in this season? That's a question I like to reflect on from time to time. In changing environments, meeting different people, and facing new opportunities, I get to rethink the way I see myself. My husband and I recently had a conversation that honored a new way of being. I really needed to hear that. Sis, sometimes we don't know who we are or what we want until talking things through. If you're feeling like you need professional support these days, give better help a try. Talk therapy is a way to deepen self-awareness, identify values, and guide you towards self-discovery. So how does it work? Easy. After filling out a brief online questionnaire, BetterHelp will connect you with a licensed therapist that aligns with your goals. This counseling service was clearly designed with you in mind. It's convenient, flexible, and affordable. Consider this a self-inventory and discover your potential with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com evolve today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash evolve. Tell them we sent you. You know, I I am such a student. Mm -hmm. I think that that's why I do enjoy the I enjoy the studying part of preaching. The the reality of like knowing I'm going to be standing in front of people and there's going to be thousands of people there. That stresses me. But I do (laughs) like the study part. I wish I could study the message and give it to someone else. But then I'm going to be upset if they don't deliver it the way that I study. (laughs) So I'm going to just drag myself up there anyway. But do you think. I'm just studying what you're saying. Mm -hmm. I'm studying our experiences. And I'm just wondering, do you think part of being a woman of color makes it difficult to separate our story from the Mm -hmm. task at hand? Yeah. I don't know that we can just show up in a space disconnected from the reality of our story. And I think that especially I'm going to say women of color, we our stories are all we have. Yeah. Like your great, great grandmother, this and your mm-hmm. grandmother, that and tell, reminding someone, remember, you haven't always been down. Like yeah. ha- part of how we heal our communities and heal our families are reminding them of our stories. And so to disconnect from our stories, to me, feels like it would be robbing us yeah. of the full power that allows us to show up in our space. That's who we are. Yeah. I think that that will be a grave mistake mm. to leave out any part of you. Yeah. And I think that's the beauty of all of us. You mentioned women of color, but I think black women in general, yeah. we carry a lot with us. Yeah. And to to just simply leave all of that behind, I think it simply takes away from the character of who you are right. and the character of what you can bring to conversations and into the workplace or into any space that you enter. Yeah. So if you leave some of that behind, uh, again, specifically for all of us, I think that jeopardizes who you are as a person. And you really can't, in my opinion, add to that conversation, um, generally speaking, if you don't bring all of you to the table. Yeah. Okay. So I want to know a little bit about your family life. Mm -hmm. Like 
to be <laughs> go ahead first of all you post your father and the girls yes. don't know what to do about it oh lord don't even give me they started. don't i just like you know some of those comments with the most likes show up right there and i'm just like sis not you being this okay, far out hello. here uh tell me a little bit about how you grew up so i grew up with my grandmother actually okay. and i think i've shared that here and there but i grew up with my grandmother mostly my grandmother legally adopted me when i was two years old okay and so i grew up with her i moved with my dad when i got to high school and that's because because what, what the old folks say, you're smelling yourself. Uh-oh. So uh, <laughs> ended up moving with my dad. Now, my parents had me at 16 years old, mm-hmm. had me at 16 years old. And at that point in their lives, they weren't really ready to, you know, take yeah. care of a child. My mom wasn't in my life. Most of my life, mm-hmm. my dad was, but my dad was going through several things. Um, and so he was in and out of jail. So that was a struggle. And so my grandmother wanted me to have a stable home. Yeah. And so I grew up with my grandmother. Um, I had my mom had 10 kids. So I I have wow. a lot of siblings. I have Were you the 16 oldest? total. Um, I'm second from the oldest. Okay. Second mm-hmm. from the oldest, but I was raised with my grandmother, so I wasn't raised around mm. all of my younger okay. siblings. Um, but we get together when I go back to Houston. All the big holidays, we're always getting together. But that was life growing up. Ended up being the first generation college student. And when I say first generation, I'm not just talking about in my immediate family, my entire family to wow. be the first to actually go to college. So I was already used to um, charting uncharted territory, so to speak. And I knew that I wanted to do more and I knew that I wanted to be a blessing for not just, you know, myself and the work that I had put in to get there, but also for my family. I had a lot of people that did a lot of work to get me to where I was going. And so I wanted to make sure that I can do them proud, too. So, yeah, that's life growing up. I love my dad to death. Um, He is amazing. And they need to watch out. I've already told them that that man (laughs) is married. Like, relax. All right now. (laughs) So, yeah, I, I don't know that I've ever had a conversation with the adult. Chi- adult child of a teen parent. Yeah. So I'm curious. You know. I, well, you may not know. I had my yes, son. I do. At, okay. I had, mm-hmm. Okay. So <laughs> I had my son at 14, and I recently read Adult Children of Emotionally Immature Parents. I don't mm. know if you've ever read this Mm-mm. book before. Mm-mm. It's fascinating. Okay. I was reading it for my own healing and recovery process, yeah. if you will, and discovered areas where I know I have shown up in the same way for him, mm. in a way that maybe didn't honor his truth fully or not even just being present enough to see him Mm -hmm. and so I've always wondered like now that you are into adulthood like as you I don't I guess consider your childhood Mm -hmm. consider the stage of life that your parents were in what type of reconciliation (laughs) now I know we was gonna go there go ahead what type of what reconciliation is required to come to terms with that's the age they were, that's yeah. what they had to give, even if they couldn't necessarily give me what I needed. And here I am today. Cause I oh think it's so goodness. easy yeah. to feel like, Oh, well look, she made it to the other side. Mm-hmm. This is assuming that like there is another side right? right. Okay. <laughs> and that it's not a journey, but like, what is that process like? It's exactly that. It's a journey Mm -hmm. and it's a process. It is an ongoing process. I am currently trying to rebuild a relationship with my mom. Me and my dad are at a really good space. There are certain things that come up here and there, um, but we've been in a really good space for the last decade or so, decade Mm. plus. And it's still a journey. It's a process. That's another thing that I talk to my my therapist about. But I think as we grow older, we realize like, 
our parents were people just like us. <sighs> yeah. And I think that's the part that a lot of kids struggle with when they become adults. They feel a sense of abandonment. Yeah. Right. Um, so that's an ongoing process. But that sense of abandonment, I, I feel like sometimes we need to take a step back and, and say they were 16. Yeah. They had no idea what mm. they were doing. I can't imagine finding out, you know, oh, I have a child on the way, but I'm not ready for a child. Yeah. Um, and so I just think about, you know, the mindset that they could have been in me. My dad have had lengthy conversations about it. And I'm working through trying to create that relationship with my mom so that we can dig a little deeper and try to really get to the root cause of, you know, some of those issues sure. that we experienced growing up. But it's an ongoing struggle. I'm not about to sit here and lie to you and yeah. make it seem like it's all uh, picture perfect because it is not. Um, so it's ongoing. But I do think as an adult um, and with the mental capacity that I have, mm. I have to realize like they are just people just yeah. like me. I, when, I, when I was 16, I tried to skip school and got in trouble. Like, no. <laughs> mm -hmm. So it was a lot going on at 16 years old. It's interesting. So I uh, read the book, I think the same sense of abandonment. Mm -hmm. I was going to ask like, what do you think is like that number one thing that you yep. had to work through? Mm -hmm. And um, even coming back to Dallas, mm -hmm. I did, it was like, Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. I know. And I was supposed to be coming back as this girl who made it to the other side, mm -hmm. but I didn't realize until I'm like sitting in church on Sunday that I'm like, I have anxiety in yeah. my body. Oh my goodness. Like this does not feel safe mm -hmm. for me here. And um I think my temptation was to just avoid those feelings, mm. but I had to lean into yep. it. And in the process of leaning into it, really learn how to show up for myself yeah. and to have compassion and to have boundaries. Yeah. And I yes. have, yeah, that part. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I have experienced more safety the more that I lean into that. That's good. And um, so my son recently just moved. He's 20. Okay. He moved into his own place. And he's told me, like, I understand so much more about my childhood now that I've moved into my own place. He hasn't been there a hmm. month. He hasn't been there a month. Really? I'm like, yeah, what is it that you understand now? He was like, I understand why we move so many different places. Because he's like, the idea of like paying rent here every month, paying bills and trying to keep up has made me realize how hard it is to simply just build a life. Yes. And to build a life with a child has that many yes. more complications to it. So that like grace mm -hmm. is really something else. And it's necessary. Yes. I like what you said about your feelings, like trying to own, it, own up to those feelings. <laughs> and really show up for yourself. One of the things I heard recently is you got to sit in it. Yeah. Whatever you're feeling, if the decision or the whatever, you know, decision you made, right or wrong, sit in it mm. and figure it out. Yeah. Listen to what you're you're hearing and make sure that you understand what this moment is trying to teach you. So Oof. I love that. Don't you feel like, I hope that I'm demonstrating that for my mm -hmm community. Oh, you uh, you know you demonstrating well, that. Absolutely. I, you know, <laughs> I, I want to. I want to cuz I I didn't know. I didn't always do that. Yeah. But there is something beautiful about sitting in it to give it language and yep. expression and mm -hmm. to keep it from happening again. Right. Because the things we don't sit in just come and knock on the door okay, again. Hello. Like, They're like, oh, was it not loud enough the first time? <laughs> right. Let me beat on the door a little harder. So. Uh, okay, so when you okay, so you become like this superstar journalist um, in your family. <laughs> like, how do you is have you ever? I have to ask you know strategic <laughs> questions here because I want to be like, girl. So anybody be like, oh, you different, and why are you talking like that? And like, where are you? Where'd she go? Mm-hmm. 
Yes, absolutely. Even some friends. Yeah. Yeah. Even mm. some friends and family um, just who known me. Now, don't get it twisted. Most of my family, they're like, no, Tashara, you're killing it. Do your sure. thing. Keep going. But you have those some cousins and I'm yeah. talking about blood cousins this time. <laughs> Not my little cousins it's on always the internet. The cousins. Um, cousins like, mm, who is that? What you doing? Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I get that every now and again. But I'm like, girl, keep it moving. We're we not doing that today. Okay. So and, but it's it's it hurts worse when it comes from friends who have been along with me because these could be distant cousins. This could be cousins I haven't seen in years, what have you. But my friends, I keep my friends close. Yeah. And so when you hear friends say things like that, you're like, really? Mm. Come on now. I'm going to have to go ahead and how they say handle you with a long handle spoon. Like I'm going to have to push you to the side a little bit. So that's what I think hurts most when you see folks saying or hear folks saying things like, oh, you've changed. You're different. I'm like, what you expect me to be the same for 20 years? So, Yeah. Okay, so I wanted to know because I have so many women who write to me and they've had like inner transformation Mm -hmm. and they're ready to be bold. They're ready to step into their purpose. They're ready to create boundaries, but they also don't want people to think they change. They don't want people to think they're different. They don't Mm -hmm. want to come off as mean or like untouchable. And yet I think the reality of growth is there may be moments where you aren't as touchable or relatable to the people who once knew you well and undergoing the grief process connected Mm -hmm. with that Mm -hmm. while also still honoring the fact that I got to go right because I can't stay the way that I once was can be challenging so I wanted to know your experience with that um I would say my experience has been interesting right I think when it comes to a certain friend or family member what have you I just need to understand like my purpose is 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 greater and I think I do lean into who I am right I do try to show a little bit of myself so they can know or so that I can feel and know that I'm still who Tashara once was however you gotta grow you gotta um evolve uh, come um, on. okay hello <laughs> um you gotta grow and you have to continue moving forward and if you have somebody that's trying to hold you back or someone you know instead of bringing up something that happened you know 15 years ago you gotta look at that person like okay you trying to bring up some trauma that I'm not trying to deal with again after I didn't already heal from it. And so I think those are just conversations that are, you know, you pick and choose which ones you want to have and deal with, but sometimes it's not even worth your time. So for me personally, I kind of, again, once I start feeling a certain way, because I know energy matters, once I start feeling a certain way, I'm like, "Mm -mm, we're not doing that today because we got way too much going on to be trying to manage each and every person's thoughts and feelings about how they feel about you. Okay, so our team has some questions I have to ask you before okay. we go. Not the team. Who did the that? Team. <laughs> Which one of y'all? They said, hold on. If you're going to have her, we need to know some things. Okay. Okay, let me pull up my situation here. Okay. Tell me about a time you had to deal with a major setback or crisis. Ooh, let me think. Major setback or crisis. I would say one that everyone already knows about is the situation with the hair. Mm. I was scared at first. Mm. People don't realize like I had only been in Dallas maybe a year, Mm. not even a year at that point. And so to come from Tyler, Texas, and the easiest way that I can explain this is you're the secretary. This is your second day on the job, Mm. right? And they tell you the next day you're going to be the CEO. You're like, girl, I don't even know what's going on. I don't even know where the file papers are. Mm. And so to come from Tyler, Texas and to to make it to Dallas, 
transitioning here in that first year, it's a pandemic, all these different things are going on. I'm not comfortable mm-hmm. here. I'm not comfortable in my job. I'm not comfortable really waking up and doing this job every single day. And then to have all those emails come in, I was afraid at first. Yeah. I was like, well, what am I going to do with this moment? How am I going to bounce back from this moment? And so I had to do a lot of praying, a lot of prayer and a lot of talking to mentors and friends about how I was going to address this situation or was I going to address the situation? So I would say that was a a defining moment for me, certainly an obstacle that I wasn't prepared for at the time. Or was I? Mm. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, So it was something I didn't think that I was prepared for at the time. And it truly changed the trajectory of a lot of things for me. So that was a big one for me. So from 2014, that's when you first started in, in journalism. No, in journalism. 2014, okay. first started in journalism. Mm-hmm. April uh, 2014, started in College Station, Texas. Okay, so from 2014 to now, mm-hmm. what are you most proud of growing in? Mm. Ooh, that's a good one. What am I most proud of growing in? I would say I'm most proud of growing into Tashara. Um, I know there are a lot of things that I can be proud to to sit in and proud to, uh, you know, grow in my faith and proud to grow in, you know, who the person um, is that I was supposed to become. So proud to just really lean into who I am. It took a really long time for me to believe in that. Even growing up, you know, as a child and coming from the background that I was coming from, I remember being in speech competitions and being mm-hmm. the only black you know, chocolate girl on the stage. So that was a struggle for me. And so um, growing into Tashara, that's that's one of the biggest things for me. Isn't it that sometimes I look back and I'm like, y'all really about to just let me be myself up here. Right. Like, <laughs> right. like really? Yeah. That's yeah. crazy yeah. to spend so much time thinking that you aren't enough mm-hmm. and then to be celebrated just because of primarily because of yep. who you are. Yep. Primarily that. Yes. Okay. So before we go, what woman in your life has been the most influential in I want to be specific. I don't okay. want to just say in your life. All right. And your journey as a black woman in journalism. Ooh, as a black woman Can't in journalism. Oprah. No, I'm not going to okay. say uh, Miss Lovely Oprah. <laughs> um, although I listen to her every morning, but no, she's we're not going to say that. Great. She's just low hanging fruit. <laughs> yes, we love yes, you. We yes. love you, Auntie O. Um, did you know that they tried to cancel Auntie O? Like you all can't, it's impossible. No, I did not know that. Yeah, like Gen Z, whoever the TikTok. Oh. Yeah, yeah, they tried to cancel her like two years ago. And my kids were telling me like they're trying to cancel Oprah. I was like, she's yeah, not relaxed. Even, that doesn't even Let happen. Let the cousins <laughs> assemble. Let us know where we need to pull up. Um, okay, a woman that has been influential in my life in the space of journalism. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I'm going to give you two women. Okay. I'm going to start off with the first woman. This was a white woman. Let me okay. be very clear about that. And this is specifically in journalism because I got a whole lot of folks that can help me along the way sure. in general. The white woman was the woman who took me from the station in College Station mm. and brought me to Tyler, Texas. Yeah. On top of that, now she did leave a few weeks later. I wasn't too happy about that. <laughs> but a black woman was hired after her. Wow. The black woman was the first woman to say to Shara, no, you can wear your hair however you choose to do so. Mm. Mind you, I was being myself at this new station, but I still hadn't quite switched my hair up. Mm-hmm. I still wanted to be able to wear braids and froze and curls and all these different things, right? And so I just remember uh, her name was Vicky. Mm. And Vicky told me to Shara, 
you can switch your hair up if you want to. And so I remember those conversations that I used to have with her and being in a position of authority, right? And telling me, another black woman, that it's okay for me to be who I am. Oh yeah, that changed the game. Mm, so mm -hmm. the game was really starting to change in Tyler. And when I got to Dallas on a bigger stage, I think that's when it became more amplified. So those two women had a profound impact on Tashara showing up in the journalism space. Okay, so I was going to ask you as our closing question, yeah. what do you hope that they know about their impact on your life? I just hope they know that they had an impact. Mm. You know, I've talked to them every now and again, but it's been a few years. And I just hope that they know that they had a lasting impact. Um, and one other person, I just have to mention her, Miss Betty Rasmus, my English teacher mm. back in junior high school. Miss Betty Rasmus, I love her to death. I went on a quest trying to find her a few years ago. Mm. And I, I, I have to let all three of them know that they just had a profound impact. I wouldn't be in this position. I wouldn't be in journalism if it wasn't for Betty Rasmus. And I wouldn't be being who I am right now if it wasn't for Jennifer and Vicky. Well, we're grateful that yeah. they gave you permission to be yourself because yeah. it is definitely inspiring us and paving a way for so many women who are coming up behind you. I think the most powerful thing that anyone can do is not just be a recipient of what they receive, yeah. but find a way to give it as well. And you're doing that. So thank you. And you're doing that too. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Tashara, there is something very special about going from stalking someone to getting to sit down with them and know them better. I have been fangirling over you on social media and you are just as good as you post to be. I'm so grateful for the time that we've spent together. It's been a pleasure getting to know more about you. Thank you so much for doing this with me. So many women will walk away hopeful for the chance to try again, to try until she actually becomes whole, healed, and set free enough to be herself no matter where she is. Thank you for giving a license to do that. If you enjoyed this podcast and you want to hear more from Tashara, I highly encourage you to visit her online. Following her on Instagram is one of my favorite things to do. Also, I want to know more about you. Send me an email to podcast at womanevolve.com. We have not been doing advice questions lately, but I want us to do an advice question only episode soon. And so send me your questions. Let me mind your business. If not, and you're thinking about maybe sliding through and sharing your story, we'll take that too. Send us an email. Let us know how this podcast is touching you and we'll see you next week. In the pressure cooker of the NBA playoffs, there's no room to fake it. Every pass, shot, and dribble is immediately consequential. The playoffs are the time for the real. Real stakes, real emotions, real sweat, blood, and tears, real legacies. Which teams will rise from the chaos? Which teams will conquer? Which team is going to make this year their year? You already know when and where to find these moments of unscripted, pure entertainment. Don't miss one minute of the action. Tune into the NBA playoffs on ESPN and ABC. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is 
finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.